This is the Horse Radio Network. Greetings, everyone. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily, episode 1363. This time, Steve Krause, head, farrier, uh, head of farrier services at Cornell University, is joining Glenn and Jamie on the Horses in the Morning podcast to talk about farrier certification and accreditation. Say that three times fast. But first, listen in as Roger from Greenflower Botanicals and Dr. Wayne DeYing have a chat about the use of CBD oil for chronic inflammatory diseases. And now our own Dr. Wendy Ying speaks with Roger from Greenflower Botanicals in a series we call CBD Oil 101. Well, in our continuing series about CBD oil, we're going to discuss how to use CBD oil to treat some chronic inflammatory diseases like EPM, Lyme, and fibromyalgia. Roger, how can CBD oil help us with these problems? Well, again, um, Wendy, uh, CBD, again, probably one of its big claims to fame is its anti-inflammatory properties uh, mm-hmm. and anti-anxiety properties. A lot of people know about that. So it can be very effective for the type of issues that you're talking about. But also along with that, some people don't really recognize that um, CBD or cannabidiol, as it's actually the long, long-term name, long-form name, is a neuroprotectant. And so it works in, uh, with the central nervous system. Uh, in the limbic and limbic and paralimbic system in the brain and can be used and it can be highly successful for all kinds of neurodegenerative uh, conditions as well. Yeah, like the uh, fibromyalgia in people and Lyme disease and EPM, that's all we think about those as neuro diseases, but also it's an inflammation of the nerves that's causing them to malfunction. So... Mm-hmm. We need something more than just pain relief, and CBD oil can help with, like you're saying, to protect the nerves and cause them to be less, uh, to fire less aggressively. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, you're getting, a, you know, attacking it from several several vantage points there. But, you know, the interesting thing is that all those things that you're mentioning can really take people for a loop, can be very difficult for them to find some kind of solution. So one of the things I would just say is, hey, it's really worth a try because we're seeing some incredible results out there with the kinds of things that you're mentioning. And if you're struggling and you can't find anything and everything you're trying is not working, do yourself a favor and get a hold of some CBD oil because uh, it, it really could be a game changer for you. Well, that's great. And how can people find out more about Greenflower Botanical products? Sure. You just go to greenflowerbotanicals.com uh, and all of our products are listed there on our website and a whole wealth of information as well and research to learn more about these things. And, and also make sure if you choose to try some of the products to use uh, a special coupon code we have for HRN listeners, just use coupon code HRN and that'll get you 20% off your first order with us. If you show your horses, please check with your federation on the legal use of CBD oil. All right, let's go to our first guest, and that is going our only guest, actually, today, and that's going to be Steve Krause, head of Farrier Services, a lecturer in the Large Animal Surgery Department of Clinical Sciences at Cornell University. His entire business card is taken up by his title. Well, hi, Steve. Welcome back to the show. We appreciate you being here. Good morning. How are you? 
Good. So now we're going to talk about something that I think confuses the heck out of most people. Uh, and some countries are different than other countries in this respect. Yeah. So we're talking right. about accreditation and certification of farriers uh, and licensing. Correct. Is there a requirement for a farrier to be licensed or accredited in any way, or can you can I just go out and start cutting uh, horses' feet off? Yes, you can. <laughs> right. um, uh, that's a simple answer um, because there is no licensing requirement in the United States, and a license is defined as um, you know a, a, a document that grants you the right to do something. Um, just like the right to drive, for instance, and so on. And so um, uh, licensing occurs in Europe, and you can actually get uh, fined and locked up in, in certain European countries uh, if you are shooing without a license. Is that right? That does not exist. In, yeah. And that does not exist in the United States for a variety of reasons, which we don't have time to get into. But... Um, because we were worried about some government mandate um, uh, forcing some kind of un untenable licensing procedure on us back in the 80s, the American Farriers Association went ahead and established the first nationwide certification program to uh, actually, you know, do it our way. And interestingly enough, we've had the people from Britain, Great Britain, come over and observe us at what we do. And they approved it. And now a, a, a person who was certified journeyman farrier of the uh, American Farriers Association would be allowed to shoe horses in England if they register. OK, well, let's back up a little. You said, you know, obviously okay. you you they the association did this and put this in place to stop the legislation. And has it worked? What percentage of working farriers out there? Are, are going for this accreditation now or certification? Or well, have it? Um, the, the certification is voluntary, so I would say it's a very low percentage because we don't really know how many people are out there shoeing horses. We can guess that there's somewhere over 30, but not more than 40,000 farriers out there. And so there's probably only several thousand farriers that are actually certified or accredited, and they do this voluntarily to improve their skills and, and pass a, a level of um, uh, certification so that they can actually, you know, be, be confident in doing what they do, that uh, an, a body has judged this to be, you know, uh, worthwhile. Is part of the certification that they have to be hot because that seems to be a requirement no. for... No, okay, good. All right, just checking. It, it can be done in the live shoeing part of it. It can be done hot or cold according to whatever you want to do so this is not to say every horse you know needs to be shod with a forge or not but it has to be shod appropriately for whatever horse that you're given um which may require you to you know shoe a horse hot but with most normal horses that are usually presented for this um if you have the right skills you can actually shoe the basic level cold the thing that the other part of the AFA certified farrier is you have to present a collection of shoes that fit uh, patterns of horses' feet with modifications, and those can only be done hot. 
What you know, it's funny because when I first uh met Jennifer, that's hot shoeing was the only thing. That's what we had an old school farrier who was also a blacksmith, made stuff. So okay. you know, hot shoeing was his thing. And I think thirty years ago it was much more common than it is now too. Um well, I think, um, I mean, again, the, the type of horse dictates not only the type of shoes, but the methods that's used. And as you get into bigger footed horses, the only way to fit them properly most of the time is by heating the shoes. Uh, nowadays, we have more shoes with um, uh, ready-made modifications than we had 30 and 40 years ago. So if you go back 40 years, a person who could take some of the very limited shoes on the market and put a toe clip or a quarter clip on and hot fit it, that person right there was considered an expert because that was rare. Well, it's funny. You talk about the different horses kind of dictate which horses will need hot fitting and so on. My farrier is a certified journeyman farrier and she's amazing. And she comes out and she, I have a, a bunch of horses like fairly recently off the track and there and a couple young ones and and she came out one day and I have an older Mustang and she she usually just cold fits and puts the shoes on but then with the Mustang she heated up her forge and went to work and I was like oh, well, I didn't know you did hot shoeing and she was like I do hot shoeing on the ones that I think I can do hot shoeing on <laughs> and she's like You're well that too horses. Yeah. yeah she's like that's a little bit uh, it could be you know she's like I just sometimes decide what you know some horses need it and some horses can take it well that's one consideration for sure uh but what you have to understand there's a difference between hot shaping and hot fitting so you may need to hot shape the shoes to do a better job a better fit or to do the modification and the horse may not tolerate the smoke and sizzle or, or be ready for that so you may hot shape but not hot fit that's what i meant yeah hot, the hot fitting right yeah. And, and or you may may do both, depending upon what you're trying to do. The reason why you want a hot fit would be just to check your shoe, be, you know, to make sure if you don't have to do anything else to it. And if you have a clip or something, it's nice to burn a little place for the clip. And certainly if you have a perfectly flat shoe, you can, you know, see scorch the bottom of the foot to see where you have to level it more. But, um, you know, but again, you know, there, there's a blend in everyday shoeing of hot work and cold fitting and so on and and certification you know the basic certified barrier takes that into consideration so there's a difference so, you know, between being certified and a certified journeyman yes the, so the certified barrier from the afa is the first test i call it the basic test okay. so there's a written test of knowledge basic knowledge uh, a shoeing uh a test that um you know you know it's basically a safety test that it, it, there's a score sheet, but basically what we're trying to do there is, are these feet trimmed properly? Are these shoes fitting properly and prepared properly? Are they nailed on and finished properly? That's, you know, pretty much the shoeing test. So say, okay, this person can work for the public. So as a client and I have this farrier that comes out, what are some questions that I can ask them to see how deep their level of certification goes in or if they're even certified? What can I say? Well, you, you can go on the American Farriers Association website, you know, AF, uh, AFA, AmericanFarriers.com, .org, I'm sorry, it's a .org, and you can look up all the people that are certified to certified farrier and jur certified journeyman, which is a harder more advanced exam. Okay. 
And so you can actually, if someone says they're a certified farrier, uh, they could be certified by their school, which really, uh, you know, I'm not allowed to test my students um, for the AFA. I can actually give them a dry run of the test, but I'm not allowed to certify them. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if someone says I went to, uh, I'm a certified trimmer or certified farrier, well, certified by who would be the question. Okay. And and the AFA is the oldest certification program in the country. It dates back in, uh, in the early 80s. They have a great website where you can look all this stuff up and find out all these requirements. And the American Association of Professional Farriers is another great organization that does accreditation and does credentialing for various um, disciplines of horses. So it's slightly different than the AFA's take on it. All right. So I'm going to ask you personally, do you think that there should be a requirement for certification? I get asked that a lot. And um, I, in, a, in a perfect world, I would like to see that. But unless you can enforce it, and no one told me how they're going to enforce it, I can't tell you whether I'm for or against it. Because I, it needs to be fair, not only to the horse owners, but it needs to be fair to the farriers that are trying to make a living at this. So I would like to see it done, but you have to have somebody that could not only grant it, you know, if you're going to have, a, that would be more like licensing. But you have to have a way to uh, fairly remove that license and enforce that. And I don't see that happening. So um, until someone can tell me how this can be done properly, I can't say whether I'm for or against. Yeah, I mean, that would come back. Usually that kind of thing comes back to the association. So it'd be the AFA, which means they'd have to hire 30 more people just to do all this. Um, and right. Think, You'd have to have yeah. a way to remove it from somebody. And um uh, you know, the, and that, the difference between the AFA and the AAPF is in order to m- maintain your accreditation uh, and your first level of membership and accreditation is just going for CE credits. So you have to maintain 24 CE credits a year to maintain your accreditation to be called an accredited farrier if you're a member of the AAPF. And, that, and that's and true of almost any website. professional accreditation, right? You still need to get your, your continuing ed credits in, and uh, whether you're a doctor well, unfortunately, or nurse or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the AFA does not require that, and that mm-hmm. is um, probably the main reason why the AAPF got established. So I would like to see the, the AFA require continuing education credits for their certifications. Got it. What, okay, uh, I went online. And my my farrier is a certified journeyman, like she said. That's good. Okay. <laughs> I went on. I went on AmericanFarriers.org, <laughs> checked on her. She's she's legit. And that's not to say that right. there aren't excellent farriers that are not certified. There are excellent farriers Absol- that are not certified. Absolutely, absolutely. There's no way you know. There's no way to get in, encompass everybody in this country. But if someone says they're a licensed farrier, they they only get a license to work on a racetrack. Mm. And so to work on most racetracks in most states, you get a state license to work on the racetrack, which includes a background check, but also includes a basic competency test. And those are the only people who can actually say they're a licensed farrier in this country. Ah, I didn't and know that. And that is just competent to be on a racetrack, uh, competent to shoe a racehorse. Right. And that you pass the background check to be behind the scenes. Um, so if anyone says they're a licensed farrier, I would question that. Uh, 
Interesting. Interesting. Well, this, you know, this is a topic that's come up before. And one of the things that has come up and you see all the time is, uh, you know, obviously people having, for whatever reason, and a lot of time I realize it's the client's fault, there's a bad situation with the farrier and you really don't have any place to go back to. There's no court of appeals. There's nobody you can go to and say, hey, look, my farrier did this, whatever it was that was inappropriate. And again, uh, granted that there's always two sides to a story. But even then, there's right. no place for both parties to go to solve that issue. Right, Correct. And that is, a, 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 I think, a gaping hole in this. It's, you know, this becomes down to a consumer uh, problem and an animal rights uh, or an animal welfare um, situation. So, you know, obviously if people are unqualified to work on horses and are are out there doing it and hurt horses, that's an animal welfare problem that should be resolved. But there is no way to do it other than don't hire that person again. Yeah, you fire them, but that doesn't doesn't help the next person, you know, so. Right. So, yes, something needs to be done, but no one's, you know, voluntarily people are going and doing these things. And those are the people who really care about what they do. And some of the guys that are very well qualified are either too busy or whatever, don't care about it. And then there's that whole bunch in there that probably would do well by taking part of this somehow. Some of the most successful farriers that I know in the country take part in these programs. And so that says it all right there. And part of the thing about license or, or, or um, a certification and accreditation is the amount of learning you do to get those letters behind your name. Well, yeah, like anything else, you know, you're 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 being educated. Well, like it's like uh, we talked yesterday about getting your CDL, about getting your Class A license to drive your truck and trailer, which right. is being required everywhere now. And Karen right. got hers, and she said, you know, I learned how to back up. I learned how to do things I didn't know. Because I had to practice everything, you know, so. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that's the good part about the AFA certification and the continuing education requirements for the AAPF. And all those things keep you stimulated, keep you up to things. And, and, and you know, the other part of the AAPF's um, credentialing is those guys are tested on whatever horse show association rules they're going for, like the hunter-jumper world has a whole bunch of shoeing things that they have to know. And um, so they're tested on that too. So if you blow into town and are looking for a farrier for a reining horse or a hunter jumper, and if you go on the AAPF's web- website, you can find out who you can call that's been credentialed. Okay. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate it. And look, Jamie didn't hijack it today, so we're good. Um, oh hush! <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, what uh, what what uh, website can people go to to find out more about you and what you do? Okay, so you can uh, either find us on Facebook, which is probably the easiest way, and that's um, you know Cornell Farrier Program, or you could come on the Cornell University um, Veterinary College's website and then search Farrier, and a bunch of pages will pop up for us too the Farrier School, as well as the services we offer here. Well, that's a wrap, everybody. Find lots more tips and links to today's guests and topics at horsetipdaily.com, or you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes 
or our very own app. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Download it today. Help your less tech savvy less tech savvy friends do it too. They'll thank you later. This is Coach Jen, and I will be back again soon with another tip. So until then, go ride your horse. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements made by guests on the Horse Tip Daily. Please use your own judgment when listening to the tips on this show. <laughs>